0: And give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our lesson series "Be the Example" by looking at First Thessalonians chapter two. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as an apostle of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For we remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you to charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who Killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as also to fill up the measure of their sin, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly with Great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. As we read this section of Paul's letter to his new friends in Thessalonica, we uh, see that he is very fond of them. He makes a point of that in his letter, and he is encouraged by the way he had been received by them, but he does feel the need to make sure they understood the circumstances under which he spoke to them and what his motivations were so that they don't doubt for a minute that what he said was true. What we see in the context of our overarching theme about being an example, though, is that uh, he is commending them for becoming an example, as he mentioned in chapter 1, but it's because they followed the example of Paul himself and the churches in Judea that had uh, been persecuted. See, they learn to be examples by following someone else's example. And so as we look to apply lessons to ourselves, uh, I think there's a key point there for us. If we want to be individual Christians or part of churches that are worthy of imitation, that comes from having leaders that equip us to do so. It comes from having people that we can follow. And so we see in this chapter the uh, process that the Christians in Thessalonica went through uh, to determine who they would follow. First, we're reminded over and over again. Paul says, and you know this is true. You tested us. You know how we came to you. There was an evaluation process that Paul had gone through as a person. These people had to uh, determine his motives and his criteria and his uh, credentials for for bringing this message, and they put him to the test, and they found him uh, passing all of those tests. Unfortunately, in our time, about the only test we put religious leaders to is, do they say what we want to hear? And and that's unfortunate because oftentimes in Scripture, God is telling us things we don't want to hear, but we need to hear it because there are changes that we need to make. So if we're going to be a people who are worthy of imitation, who can be an example for others, we have to make sure that we have uh, chosen the right kind of leaders, uh, the right kind of people, based on their character and their motives. If they're bringing us a message, uh, it's easy to repeat true words, but it's harder to live them out. Paul was someone who was living among them the things that he was preaching, and so it solidified his credentials as a, a Christian leader. Not only did they have to evaluate who he was, they had to evaluate the message that he was bringing. And we're told that uh, when in verses three and following that uh, when he brought a message, they received it as the word of God. But it was because it matched what they knew about God. There was some evidence that what Paul was saying was true. We have to be careful to evaluate the message of those who come to us wanting to to lead us. I think too often, again, we hear a message that that resonates with us, but we don't bother to check to see if that message is accurate, if it's consistent with God's teaching, if it's consistent with things that God has already revealed to us. And because we like that message, we affirm the person that's bringing it, and maybe that person is coming to us with ulterior motives. And so if we don't take the time to evaluate the messenger and the message We do ourselves a terrible disservice. But here's the next step. If I've evaluated the leader and I've evaluated the message and they're both consistent with a pure heart and a godly message, then I've got to take that message and go to work. I I can't just hear it and go, oh, that's really good. This is not a mental exercise where we just decide whether or not we agree with someone. This is an attempt to be equipped. The things that we're being told by messengers of God are the things that we have to put into practice. Uh, They're the things that we're called to do and to be by God through these messengers that, that make a difference. And that's where these folks in Thessalonica excelled. They took that message. They took it as a, a message from God and they put it into practice. They listened to the people that didn't have any ulterior motives but seemed to be pure of heart and took that, embraced it, and lived it out. For us to become people worthy of imitation, we've got to follow that example. There are some things about their work that needs to be noted as well. We see it in Paul and we see it in the Thessalonians. One is that work done for God should be done on purpose. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we might accidentally do the right thing, but we didn't think to do it for God. Sometimes we're doing something, but it's not even actually the right thing or the thing that God wants. Uh, It may ease our conscience a little bit, but if it ends up doing something for God, it's accidental because we're not trying to glorify God or honor God with it. We're actually trying to do something for ourselves. The work that we do for God, according to verse one here, should not be in vain. That word vain there means empty or or for no purpose. And so as we look to do good works, as we look to be the kind of people that, that accomplish those good works, we only accomplish them in God, and we are most effective when we do it for God rather than for ourselves. And there's a couple of things that uh, are highlighted in this chapter that that show us what that looks like. One, those works are done boldly. Uh, There's no timidity about the effort at all. Paul said, you know, I was persecuted in Philippi uh, and came to Thessalonica and it started all over again, but I didn't back down. I continued to tell you what I needed to tell you uh, until it was time to leave. You know, I didn't change the message Just to make people calm down, I went ahead and told you what I needed to. Now notice, he did this boldly, but that did not mean aggressively. Far too often, Christians confuse the two. Uh, Being bold doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be demonstrative. It doesn't have to be dogmatic, and it certainly doesn't have to be aggressive. He also says there was no hostility here. You may go, well, I didn't see that. He said he was gentle with them. It it is the opposite of being hostile. It is the opposite of trying to get someone back or take revenge. It's realizing the moment and and speaking to folks with the the tone that is necessary to get your point across, given the circumstances. You're not getting into a shouting match with someone where you're trying to set them straight. You're calmly letting them know what you know in a way that hopefully convinces them, but that's between them and God. What we do is present the message. We plant the seeds. So Paul did this boldly, but he also did it because he was eager to please God. It wasn't that he was trying to please himself or make a place for himself among the folks in Thessalonica and make them like him. He was doing this for God. It really didn't matter whether the Thessalonians liked him or not. He was going to do what God wanted him to do, but he did find a receptive audience there and and it created a bond with them. See all of the work that a church does or an individual Christian does should bring glory to God. it shouldn't bring glory to us. It's fine if someone notices that God's using us, but God should get the credit for all that we do because any of the goodness we're able to uh, attain is only by the grace of God. And it should be reflected in our lives and our comments uh, about him that he is doing the work. We're just the vessel that facilitates it. In this eagerness to please God, notice that he describes himself as being nurturing, like a mother and a father. He uses both of those metaphors. And so as we boldly do the work that God has given us to do, we have to uh, approach it in a very nurturing way because we are taking people who are not where we are and trying to bring them closer to God. And that is a, a... exercising growth, and it is something that takes nurturing. And so uh, those parenting instincts that we have sometimes should kick in when we're dealing with folks that need God's help. So when we work for God, we do it on purpose. We do it boldly, but we do it in a way that pleases and honors him. But notice in this chapter, something that we often overlook is that struggle is part of the process we like to think if we're doing what God wants us to do, there won't be any problems. Uh, I've even heard preachers kind of uh, tell folks that, you know, if you want all your problems to go away, become a Christian. If you're having struggle in your life, you don't have enough faith. You, you're you not doing it right or you wouldn't be struggling. But Paul was doing everything right. And he was being persecuted in every town he went to. The, the church at Thessalonica is being told that they're doing it great, but they were suffering persecution. Struggle is part of the process. Uh, The New Testament speaks a lot about the struggle that we experience on a daily basis, and we need to embrace that teaching and see that it can produce good in us. God doesn't want us to suffer, but when we suffer because of our own mistakes or the mistakes of others, there's something good that can happen in that. Scripture lets us know that Struggle disciplines us and strengthens us. when we're faced with struggle, we have to develop the discipline to keep doing what God's called us to, uh, to trust him with that and and to go through this repeatedly uh, until we make it through. It develops discipline in us, but it also strengthens us. You've all heard the phrase, uh, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And so as Christians, when we find ourselves in the midst of struggles, we find ourselves in an opportunity to get stronger. In our faith, in our practice of the work that God has given us to do, we get better as a result. Any of us that try to strengthen our physical bodies understand what it means to exercise and to push the limits of what we've been able to do to get stronger. Faith works the same way. We have a responsibility to work through the struggle so that we become more disciplined and stronger. But struggle within a group, within a church it can actually raise our awareness and strengthen bonds of the members as Paul and these Thessalonians went through this struggle together. They became more aware of the things that Satan was doing trying to defeat them, the things that God was doing to to sustain them and bring them through. And it it built a bond that couldn't be broken. Even though Paul had moved on to another city and, and was living somewhere else, he was still very affectionate toward these folks and wanted to see them do well. They had developed a strong bond. And so we in our churches, when we uh, see a little adversity, whether we feel it coming from the society around us or even troublemakers within the congregation, we need to be a people who let those struggles raise our awareness of what God is doing versus what Satan's doing and, and let it bond us together. Think of the times in your life when you've built the strongest bonds with other people. It's usually not in the good times. It's very often in the darkest of times when people are there with you and for you through those struggles. And so God uses that dynamic to strengthen his Christians and his church. But there's another aspect of this chapter that I think that we need to identify. If we're going to be people who can be an example, we certainly need to follow worthy leaders so that we develop uh, that ability to be a good example. We need to understand that struggle is a part of the process, but we also need to realize that as this is going on, we have nothing to be ashamed of. Very often, even in our society, certainly in Paul's time, if you met with any kind of affliction, it was a sign that things weren't going well with you and you should be ashamed. But Paul mentions here the pride that he has in what he does for God and the pride that he has in the Christians in Thessalonica. Now, we need to make sure we understand this is not an arrogance. An arrogance is thinking that I am doing something. This is a pride that comes from uh, being willing to let God use you for his purposes and seeing those things come about. Your, Your pride is in God accomplishing his purposes and you getting to be along for the ride. And This is not condescending either. Just because I can see where God used me, but I didn't see how he used you, doesn't make me superior. It just probably means that I'm not completely aware of all that God's doing. I don't have a right to be arrogant or condescending, but I can be proud as a Christian uh, to be in the family of God and know that he is working to bring about his purposes. We want to be examples. We're called to be examples. But to do that, we have to follow the leader. We have to find someone worthy uh, of following ourselves, someone that we can learn from and be equipped by so that we are those people who live out our purpose to work in God's kingdom. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calerachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.